You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Today we are going to be talking about being aliens and sojourners in the world below and in our current situation. Of course, I don't know how we'd act in anything other than our current situation. It's the only one we got. But our current situation is giving us a good bit of reminders of just how alien uh, at times they are to us and we to them. Now, at times I find this a bit strange of a lesson. And uh, at times it almost seems like I'm dealing with uh, things that cross purposes. For instance, I'm the local scoutmaster, as you all know, and I help out in a number of other ways with scouts. And of course, scouts is a community organization. We teach service, we teach citizenship, we teach patriotism. It's, it's what we do. This uh, next week, we've got one of our big weeks locally, because it's Old Settlers Week. And, uh, scouts have a full, full raft of things, uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday to do, and we'll be highly involved in that. And the other day, I was talking with one of our scouts about doing some work and doing some service and uh, being a helpful neighbor, and that... Uh, scout, as sometimes young folks are wont to do, expressed a thing that's a bit shocking to the old guy about how, uh, you know, they didn't feel that they owed so much to the community, and the community was just, you know, people they happened to live by, and that, that it's, almost as, it's almost accidental that they happened to be at this community at this time, and, and uh, there was a kind of a sad alienation to it, uh, which I, I just found a bit striking, and it's like, how, how come you're not better connected uh, to this place? And so we know in our society, there is a sense of alienness to it in many ways, as there are people who will just quickly and easily, they'll move from place to place, and they'll, be, uh, they'll live in a number of communities, they'll live in a number of cities, a number of states, and they won't really put down roots in any of them. They won't really be connected. Well, we as Christians, we also have a sense of disconnectedness, and I think to some degree a sense of not belonging, uh, but hopefully it's not by uh, a lack of concern or a lack of appreciation for the communities that we have. But I will say that everything that I do, even in the scouting things and other things in the community uh, that I do and with the kids involved in schools and the other ways in which we interact with folks here locally, there always seems to me, uh, at least, to be at least a little bit of me that seems out of place. And I don't think that's just my social awkwardness. Uh, might be that that doesn't help, but uh, I don't think it's just that. I think there's something a bit more to it. There's, there's only a few times uh, where I can be completely and unreservedly at home and present in a thing with no reservation and with no hesitation and that is almost always at church. That's where I feel comfortable. That's where I feel most at home. Now, you can combine other good things with that, uh, such as uh, community members or, or family members. And last week as we were gone, uh, I noted as uh, we began uh, the worship service and at the place we were visiting, I was sitting over there on that side. I was sitting on the row behind uh, my mother, 
on the row uh, with, my, uh, with my wife and one of my daughters. And on the row behind me was one of my sisters. And directly across on the other side, about where Doug's sitting, was my other sister. Uh, and uh, my dad was leading singing. And then my brother-in-law got up and, and, uh, and gave the lesson. And it was his father who was doing the Lord's Supper. And so when you can add and compound in these extra blessings, it makes it all the better. Uh, but, uh, and I did note, that's the first time it's been, we've all been together in years. COVID has made the last 18 months or so. But, but having all of us kids uh, there at the same time, that very seldom very seldom happens as we have our own families now and own lives and the like, and even my own siblings. You know, one of them's a grandma. I don't know how that happened to her. She's, she's my twin, but I don't know how she got so old. But, so she's got her own life, and we all have our own thing. But the thing we have together uh, in our families, blessedly and thankfully, and the thing we have together today with us as we've gathered as the family of God uh, on the Lord's Day is we have this place where we can truly be at home. But that also means when we go out to that old, those other places, it's not always so much. So we are here as aliens and sojourners, and we'd ask the question biblically, where it is that we belong? Well, certainly we should be belonging to and in the family of God and reconciled to Christ uh, through to, to him and so with also each other Ephesians 2.17, he came and preached peace to those who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we have both our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer aliens and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with the saints. And you are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you're also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So we are being built together, and we are no longer, when it comes to God and God's family, aliens and strangers. In God's family, we are, 1 Peter 2, 9, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so we are not aliens and strangers. We are members of the family. We've all been adopted in. We've been made into this new people by the mercies of God, but then being resident and family and comfortable and accepted in the family of God, the very next verse says, 1 Peter 2.11, I urge you as aliens and strangers, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. He just talked about our belongingness. He just talked about the, the acceptance. He just talked about where we have received all these things. And then he says, in the very next, very next breath, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Why? Well, go back to chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens. 
scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest of measures. And so being alien and stranger to one is part of being belonging and so comfortable and so at home in the other. And so we can be at home in the world, but we think about uh, James, you adulteresses, why do you have such friendship with the world? Did you not know that friendship with the world is hostility to God? We can have a comfortableness in the world, but an alienation from God. Or we can be reconciled to God and those who he is likewise reconciled. And then we're going to be aliens and strangers to that world from which we came. Though that world was our home, though that world is to where by nature we were born, though that world is in so many ways so very important to us, but now there's something that we have greater, but also something that separates. And so our discipleship, our following of God and coming into the family of God puts us contrary to, puts us at odds with, makes us separate from and different from the world. And so what we're going to find is that discipleship is contrary to culture. There's a culture out there of the world. And there's a discipleship and a following which is in Christ. And we're going to point out a few differences between them. Each of these we could go on at great length, but we won't. And we're also going to not try to be political about this. It's not about a political stance. This is not the kind of alienation we see fracturing our nation uh, where people have chosen up different political sides. Uh, this is not ethnically based. Uh, the, uh, people from every uh, tribe and tongue and nation are welcome in the call of the gospel. And so it's not political, it's not ethnic or racial, uh, it shouldn't be socioeconomic. Uh, we know there's warnings. Uh, a lot of times people, uh, especially in our culture, they, they view Christianity, you know, as a white middle class or upper middle class thing. Uh, and they think there's a big uh, socioeconomic component to it. But who are the warnings to in the Gospels? Are the specific warnings to the poor or to the rich? Uh, because so many Christians uh, and, and those who have some Christianity left in, in form, not always in substance, but because so many of them have done so well, at times people think uh, that uh, you know Christianity is just for the middle class or the, this other class. It's not for any class. Uh, there are uh, warnings to the rich. There are warnings about preferential treatment uh, to the rich in the, in the scriptures, uh, but it's, it's, it's not to be uh, socioeconomically based. So it's uh, also not to be uh, gender-based. Uh, men and women are the same. By faith in Christ, Galatians 3, we're all one. And so all the things that divide people today, and people think, well, that Christianity is for that subset or that group, or you know, they put a box around it. It's not for us. It's, it's for everybody. It's for everybody. But it is different. It makes you different than culture. For one thing, we're to be living in a principled way we're to be living by the truth of God. What was it that uh, uh, we just sang in uh, uh, song number 17 uh, uh, from Psalm uh, 100? Uh, His truth at all time firmly stood and from age to age uh, will endure. We live by an eternal set of truths. 
We live by some principles and values and morals that are not changing. Our culture lives by a pragmatic approach that whatever works is good. If it works, let's do it. Why would we not? And sometimes uh, that's falsely called, uh, this pragmatism is falsely called scientific. You know, follow the science. Well, you know, sometimes there's science to follow, and, and sometimes folks are all making that up. Um, but uh, if, it's, if it's really of science, because science, really the word means knowledge, uh, then, then that is no uh, contradiction to the things of the word of God. But many people uh, try to claim that uh, to advance causes that are contrary to actual truth. But what we find is that we do have a set of principles, and this in the culture sometimes makes Christians really hard-headed people to deal with because they've got a thing that you can't convince them off of. Now, I'm not saying that Christians always take the right stand with the right spirit in the right place, but Christians have this you know, a, a habit of taking stands in places where they think they ought to and then not moving from them. Now, if we're going to take a stand, uh, we got to make sure we're taking the right stand in the right place with the right attitude, but we don't just go with, well, yeah, that seems to work. Let's try that for a while. And in the world, they'll try a thing for a generation, then they'll try another thing for a generation. Or sometimes they'll speed up the cycle. And so uh, in moral things uh, and in things that uh, deal with uh, things that are revealed in Scripture, we're going to stick with that revealed truth, and you're going to find that Christians have been there all along. And so John 5, or excuse me, John 1 it says, for the law was given through Moses. So God's people dealt with a revealed body of truth, the law. But then grace and truth were revealed through Jesus Christ. And so we have grace and truth. Uh, the, the, the teaches the same basic principles of morality as the law did. But these are revealed things. Uh, the, the truth and the law uh, guide us. These are revealed. They are from outside us. The thing about pragmatism and, and political pragmatism or cultural pragmatism or moral pragmatism, it's what we think fits right now well. And we think that works, so we'll go with that. Uh, and then, no, Christians have this principled approach based on something revealed outside of us. Particularly in our country, our country is one that's, that's highly individualistic, almost atomistic. Everybody is their own thing. Everybody gets to decide for themselves about everything about themselves, it seems like. And uh, heaven help the poor uh, school administrator uh, who deals with these families who think that they can define uh, normal behavior for uh, their child contrary to what everybody else has ever done. And, and the schools are one of the first places the families run into resistance from that because someone's actually telling uh, them and their little darlings that, you know, hey, this thing starts when the bell rings and this... We're not going to change that because you have trouble getting here late. Uh, this is a there's a certain time for talking. There's a certain time for being quiet. There's a certain curriculum that you're going to learn. Well, the school uh, gets to deal with that first, but we deal with that in every aspect of society. And we are so individualistic. It just almost doesn't appear that anything is outside the bounds of discussion. That if a person wants it bad enough or feels it sincerely enough, or has it enough uh, as a deeply held principle of themselves. They don't even have to have anybody else in the world that agrees. But if they themselves want it, so reality must change, 
and bend to their will. It simply does not. It simply does not. For us as Christians, we recognize uh, that uh, God put us in families. And we learn to respect and honor our father and mother from the beginning. And then uh, after honoring uh, father and mother, uh, hopefully we'll grow up with some uh, teachings of basic morality. We'll form our own relationships in which we will then, uh, to our own husband or wife, uh, make a covenant before God, which God set the terms of the covenant. We, we might get to write our own vows, but we don't get to write our own covenant. Right? And so you don't get to marry two because you want to. Right? God said the covenant is a man and a woman. And, uh, you know, now I realize we have to use some uh, reason, uh, reason to look at the world, and we have to look at the natural revelation of the world, and now it, we're so individualistic, it's up to each individual person at any, to, at any time in their life to decide if they're man or woman. Well, why are you scoffing, Doug? Aren't they doing it? Do you not read the papers, Doug? Do you, do you, have you not seen some of those things on Discovery Channel? But everybody gets to have their own rules. But we grow up in a family. We, we are placed in community. We are taught to love our neighbor. We are taught to, uh, you know, from the scriptures, care for grandma and grandpa. Uh, we are taught uh, to uh, the older women teach the younger. Uh, that assumes we recognize the difference between old and young. And we, def- we recognize the difference between women and men. And uh, that we have these relationships and we have these obligations uh, which are invaluable uh, and we can't change them because we all decided to uh, we think about this for the disciple first corinthians three twenty three: you belong to christ and christ belongs to god we have a sense there's a we belong we belong to him no i'm my own man i don't belong to nothing or nobody well, well let's we see how well that works no it is working i'm very pragmatic about it no you're destroying yourself and your society you claim it's pragmatic but it's not but we live within this community, 1 Corinthians again 12, uh, 25, so that there be no division among the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If anyone suffers, all the members suffer. If anyone is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Now I know those great prophets of the people, the Isley brothers, said, it's your thing. Do what you want to do. But we believe that Christ has told us what we do, what the bounds of our behavior are, and the things that we need to uh, do in regard to each other. And actually, you know, you just think about even the most important descriptions of things in your life are all relational. I mentioned the visit we did last week while we were gone. I mentioned a mother, a father, a son, a sister, a brother, a father-in-law, uh, there were grandchildren involved. There were great nephews involved. I, and I did, I did give their suckers back. I only had them temporarily. I let the, I let the great nephews have all their suckers back. Didn't even take a one. Uh, not permanently. But all of those things are in relationship, in, in, in a, in a uh, connection to each other uh, that our culture uh, does not honor uh, or promote. So this makes the life of the disciple a disciplined life. As opposed to the culture where basically since you all get to do what you want to do. Well, what did the Proverbs say about the son who gets his own way? He brings shame to his mother. Yet today, what does every son say is his God-given right? To get his own way. 
So we lead a disciplined life. We, we are not to shirk our responsibilities. And we are not to craft our own set of the responsibilities I, I care to take on. We've been given responsibilities by God's word. And God expects us to follow that in an orderly and a disciplined fashion. Uh, Hebrews 12, about his sons who he loves. Those whom he loves, he disciplines or scourges. Uh, those who he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. And God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? But if you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, you're illegitimate children. The king puts the word bastard in there. And not sons. You're not in the right way. And you're not in the right relationship if you live an undisciplined life. Paul said, I hear this horrible thing. That some of you are going about leading an undisciplined life and doing no work at all to the Thessalonians. And he said, y'all need to correct that. And so we have this life with each other, this life by an order, this life revealed to us and and given to us. And a lot of people say, "Oh, oh man, that is so boring. Well, it turns out, it turns out that the way of discipleship is an ordinary way. There's a path that's been set. I know there's extraordinary things in it and great blessings, but that's not what I speak about. I I speak about these people who in culture always want the new, the exciting, the extraordinary, the novel. They want the thing that's new and improved. They want the thing that's fresh and unheard of. They want what is the latest wave. They want something that's exciting. And the old past, not so exciting. Well trod. Everybody knows that. You can read... uh, uh, from you know the, the last two thousand years of Western of great novels uh, in Western civilization and Western culture, and they're all talking about the same basic things. Uh, then you read the things from the last hundred years; it looks like the world's gone crazy, and maybe it has. But there's an old way. Uh, Jeremiah six, the Lord says, "Stand by the way and see and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls." what they said we will not so the prophet says look go back to the old ways and you think about the chronology of the old testament or does jeremiah stand much closer to the end of it than the beginning he stands just as the people on the precipice of such destruction is to go into the babylonian captivity now he stands uh you know 500 years half a millennia after moses and so Look, folks, the way is marked. Follow this that our people have been doing for 500 years. And they said, nope, we're not going to do it. And we have very much the same. There's a reason why this verse has been a particular favorite among Christians and among those who uh, want us to do the things of the Scripture. We've had two millennia of this instruction in Christ. And we tell people, look, it's not new. It's old. It's been there the whole time. And just do that. Just do what God, nope, we will not. We need something different. That is not new. That is not exciting. That is not uh, improved. Uh, That is not novel. We need to try something else. Well, if you get enough people together, they might decide we'll do something else. Uh, One thing about our culture, and particularly, again, American individualistic culture, is we are highly democratic. What the people want to do, the people do. And we got the sovereign will of the people. Now, I realize this might... Uh, getting us in trouble with some of our political theorists and some of the 
stated things of some political uh, parties, but that's okay. Uh, it, we, we just can't vote our way into a new morality, into new relationships, into new uh, covenants with God and people. We just can't. We, we can't just decide we're all going to do something else. We have a structure, again, revealed to us. The family structure is older than society. The family structure is the beginning of society, and God made it. The, the church structure and the family structure that it's based on, these things are millennia old, though our experiment in democracy is now, what, about 250? Not quite, round number. But we think, and some people think in their churches even, that we can change uh, orthodoxy. Or we can change uh, basic things. Uh, uh, nearly every American religious institution, amazingly enough, is democratic. The people, the churches send messengers or delegates uh, to uh, the higher up, and then they vote on things. Uh, last four or five months ago, uh, the Baptists uh, made a lot of news. Uh, they were having big floor fights and different votes on different positions. A year before that, it was the Methodist. But all American religious institutions are democratically based to a large degree. Why? Well, because we, they're modeled on the world. There's a reason why Roman Catholicism has an entirely different structure. It was formed at a time when there was a different kind of government, and it was modeled after that. And so they, they have the, basically, the, the Roman Catholic Church has the same governmental structure as the Roman Empire did. And, and on it goes. And so we, if we're going to make our own rules, uh, we, we do it to the culture around us. The, the Church of God is structured, but not by the vote of the people. Uh, I know we're used to, uh, you know, everything, the government, the culture, uh, all parts of it swing as the votes go. But that is not the way the church is. There is this warning, Ezekiel 23, you will not follow the masses in doing evil. Don't, don't follow the crowd to do wrong. Or, or this from Ezekiel 33. You, your fellow citizens say, the way of the Lord is not right. When it is their way that's not right. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, then he'll die in it. But when the wicked turns from his wickedness that he practices and turns to justice and righteousness, then he'll live by them. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not right. O house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to his ways. People think they can judge God's word. And people say, no, we don't like that. We, we like and we want something else. And so as we have this revealed way, this taught way to us, that we follow, it, we, since we're on an old path, we're not going to go real far off that old path, are we? Not if we're going to be true. And it leads to a restraint. It leads to uh, a, a certain control, uh, and it leads to a certain mindset that says, let's not get carried away too much. But if we're all deciding for ourselves, or as a group, what we want to do, getting carried away seems to be the best way to make progress. We're just going to go whole hog into a thing and roll this thing as far as it'll go and, and see how it will turn out. And it's led by emotion. Getting people ginned up in emotional turmoil uh, is one of the best ways uh, to move them in a direction you want to do. Some people in, in our culture, we see this being done very cynically. 
very, uh, in a very manipulative fashion. But sometimes it's more subtle as well. And there can be a groundswell that people get caught up in. And maybe it is more organic. But again, it's organically from fallen people. Uh, not being led by the word of God. But instead uh, being uh, carried on by what it is that they want. So we're led by revelation. The culture ultimately is relative. And so we have one, one is relativistic, relativism, that all things negotiable, all things can change. And what wasn't right 100 years ago or 200 years ago, that very way, well, may be right now. Matter of fact, it might be required. Uh, but uh, the revelation doesn't change. And so this is why sometimes Christians are the big boat anchor on all kinds of things that society wants to do. Because we have a revelation that hasn't changed as people have changed their minds about them. Uh, we are text-based. We are truth-based. We have a thing that says these words. And unless we change the definition of these words, which is one of the good ways that false teachers do to get people to go along. They don't change the words, but they change the meaning of the words. But if we stand where uh, the words mean as they have historically and always meant, and we don't change uh, the standard, we don't change the words by which we follow, then we are going to have uh, a set of truth that is outside us. As in the culture, uh, you have people who will speak, uh, and I don't even know how this works, but they will speak um, uh, 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 earnestly. Uh, they, will, they will speak uh, as though this is a real thing. I don't mean that they're directly trying to manipulate it. I mean they hold this, they hold this uh, belief in actual earnestness and apparently in sincerity, but they will talk about a thing being true for me, but not for you. Or they'll talk about their own truth. Or you have your truth, but I have mine. Well, I have a truth. Uh, my truth is what God revealed. And to the degree I don't have that truth is where you will find error in my life. To the degree I have that, believe that and practice that, that's where I'll be doing well. So 2 Timothy 2 you, however, Timothy, and all Christians raised with faith, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them, that from childhood you've known the sacred writings, which can give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. So there's the point of Scripture. The Scripture is not just a, a rule book that we follow. The Scripture is the wisdom that leads to salvation of faith. And so the scriptures are to lead us to faith in Christ. So all scripture then is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, equipped for every good work. And so this is us. By revelation, uh, following that, it, it, it doesn't move much, so, so we don't either. And this goes against the cultural lines. And so that makes us to the current culture, often appear and get accused of being intolerant while society touts its greatest virtue of tolerance. Now, of course, the problem is the thing they're tolerating is the thing that they themselves five minutes ago weren't for. Uh, but uh, they've changed it and said, no, now we, all have to, now we all have to play that tune and we all have to march in that way. And if you don't, uh, you're intolerant. A couple of things on that. We think about Isaiah 5. What are those who call evil good and good evil. 
who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And so there's, there's, there's a switch. A bad is told, we're told to accept the bad and celebrate the bad and the bitter, and we're told that that's sweet. And some of us say, no, the other stuff was sweet. I liked it better. No, we've moved on. Uh, why can't you move on? Because that was revealed, and this is not. And so we find at times, then, as culture has moved on in some places so quickly, we find a few strange bedfellows occasionally with us in our fight against the culture. In the last few years, there's been this really interesting group. They're called TERFs, Trans-Exclusionary Radical Feminists. Trans-Exclusionary Radical Feminists. They're a group of, of, of feminists, feminist professors, and the like, they have viewed everything in, for their entire life and career as a gender fight. The whole world is men versus women, women versus men. Let's promote the women. And I have to say, in our culture, uh, these uh, radical feminists have made a decent amount of, of headway. They've won a lot of political fights. They've had a lot of laws passed. They've, they have swayed the culture tremendously. And these ladies were saying, all right, women power, we're doing well with the women. And then come a bunch of men who put on dresses and said, oh, no, we're, we're women too now. And these, these feminists said, hold on, we, we did all this to promote and, and, and make space for and provide opportunities for women. And the guys in dresses, the, trans, the transgender women, said, uh, thank you, sister, we're here to take advantage. And these, these feminist ladies said, get out of here, you're not really a woman. And they say, why do you hate on trans so much? And so it's an interesting fight. And it's one that Christians, some of which have, you know, we just, some of us have just popped our popcorn and, and, and enjoyed, which is really a bad thing. Uh, we, we should not watch that with, with such glee uh, these people doing such things, although it, it has been a temptation, at least in some degree, hard to resist. But the feminists are fighting with the trans people. And, and they're all using kind of the same logic, and they're all talking about their own needs, and they're all talking about, and, and I mean... How do you pick a side in that? Well, for once, I'm, in, I'm with the radical feminist. Uh, and so uh, the radical feminist and some Christian uh, groups were filing briefs together uh, uh, before the Supreme Court. They were lobbying for the same, same laws uh, in state legislatures and in U.S. Congress. And you think, what a world. What a world. But for us as Christians, again, it's a revealed world. It's a revealed life. It's it's hopefully free from some of these uh, really strange conflicts that come. But we might worry, and I think, that, I don't know, worry, don't worry, don't be anxious. But we might think that there might be some sharper divisions to come. There are, in our culture, if you look at the things that are currently uh, hot spots, the things which uh, are, are getting uh, some of the most uh, attention, and homosexuality, transgenderism, and abortion. One of the things that's interesting is with these, nearly all of them are in some way sexually related. That everybody gets to define their own sexuality, their own gender, uh, their own everything about sex, and that everyone is supposed to accept and celebrate that. That is a powerful idea in culture. And it's seen, when we, say, when we say otherwise, it's treated as if we are speaking against basic human rights. 
These things are presented as basic human rights, as fundamental freedoms. Uh, and uh, we have the freedom of religion come up against the freedom of expression in these sexual things. And society and it, the courts and the laws almost always side against us uh, with, uh, not always, but nearly always, against uh, the religious freedom and for these sexual uh, freedoms. And so these things, which they've gone from illegal, and I mean in my lifetime, in my lifetime when I was a kid, you'd still see stories in the news of the, the vice cops uh, raiding uh, known homosexual hangouts and bars and arresting large numbers of people uh, because these are illegal things. Well, now they're certainly not illegal in the least. Now they are protected and almost to the point of being sacrosanct. They're being held as sacred and invaluable. That's how much the culture has changed. And if we haven't changed it all with it, we do appear to many of the world as this dinosaur as can possibly be. But we're still, I believe, in this on the Lord's side and the winning side. And so the only responses that I know that we can have, because I don't really think that uh, political action will, will show much. Uh, you're welcome to try if you like, if that's, if that's your hobby. It's not mine. Uh, when I like to watch pointless things about people banging into one another, I prefer there to be a football in the middle, not a law. But uh, anyway, that's, where I, <laughs> that's my pastime. But, but some really like to get into politics of it. Uh, but I don't know that that's a necessarily Christian one, but prayer and preaching so that we have taught our own and we have taught all who might listen and ourselves having faithful practice. If we show in a world that's going to be this tore up, if we show uh, good families, if we show a happy people, if we show uh, people who are, are functioning, if we show people uh, being produced by this teaching in a way that, uh, you know, uh, is working, uh, I think that can be a powerful witness. Now, that's not to say our outward appearance of these things is the most important thing. But it can't, the fruits of this can be an effective uh, teaching. But the main thing we need is people who are faithfully and committed to uh, Christ. Uh, we need, uh, and I think the fruit will follow, uh, but uh, the outward appearance of the fruit is not the, the only or first thing. But the, the, the following of Christ, where we follow him outside the, the gate, uh, Hebrews 13 and 12. And we go with him outside the camp. We bear his reproach because we're seeking a lasting city, a city which is to come. Uh, I, th I think that's our best path in this culture, both for success in it and also, especially for eternal success uh, uh, because this is our family. This should be the place where we're comfortable. This should be our, our, our home until we get to our true home, uh, which is the heavenly home. And so let us live this way joyfully and peacefully and, and happily. And as the world is crushed in the consequences of its sin, there are only two reactions, I think, uh, can be uh, either lash out at us and claim it's our fault, or seeing that this is producing a better life with a better hope, uh, uh, some of the individuals can flee from that side that's going to pull itself apart and pull itself down and join the part that is the happy band of pilgrims uh, marching on to Zion. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available 
at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.